Well, today we're going to continue a series we started last week. Last week was our first Sunday here in this location, and we started a series titled Rethinking the Church. Rethinking the Church. And the reason we're talking about the church is because a lot of us need to change the way that we think about the church because the way we think about the church is not right. And, and, I'm, and I'm generalizing uh, for all of us, of course, but uh, if we have the wrong ideas about church, then really everybody loses. And so last week we, we talked about how the, the church must learn to adapt to a changing culture. And we looked at the church in Antioch, which did, ju- which did just that. They adapted to the new people that were coming in. Uh, they, they're the first church, not even Jerusalem did this. Antioch was the first church where they began to speak to the people of that culture in their own language. They were the first ones who, who began to speak to them in, in Greek. And nobody else was doing that. But prior to that time, the gospel was only in, in Hebrew or Aramaic. And so they learned the language of their culture. They began to minister in that language. And I think that's something we need to do. I went through some points uh, that we drew from that passage about how we need to adapt. We never adapt the message. The message is unchanging. Our God is unchanging. But as I said to you last week, sometimes we need to, well, not sometimes, all the time, we need to understand that because our culture is so different now, they process what they hear differently. How many of you know and, and you and maybe have heard some, uh, some studies about this, but you, you kind of know instinctively that, um, that when, when people, I was going to say kids, but even adults spend a lot of time in, uh, social, uh, on social media, it begins to kind of rewire their, their brains, right? Rewires the way they think, all of us, does that to all of us. Well, not only that, but there's so many things, that's just one example, so many things that have changed in our culture that people's minds, I mean, this is just going to happen, have been rewired so, uh, so that they process what we, what, what we tell them differently. You know, back when, when I was a kid growing up, and, and, uh, and I loved church, uh, I loved going to church, as a little boy, as a teenager, I've always enjoyed it, and uh, you know, I felt a call, obviously, uh, to preach. But um, when I was growing up, I would hear, and my dad was a pastor, and I would hear preachers say um, things like, you know, and I can't explain this scientifically, but all I know is that the Bible says it, and I believe it, and people couldn't argue with that. I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I mean, it's the Bible. Nowadays, if you say that, people say, well, why should I believe you? You know, they're not going to accept it. They're going to say, no, sorry, you know, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want, you don't want to teach me, uh, then I'm not going to talk to you. I've, I've, I've heard people say, if, if, uh, if uh, somebody uh, wants to have some kind of discussion about, you know, anything, abortion or whatever, and uh, if they, yeah, first thing I'll ask them is, do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe it's true? If they say no to me, then I say, well, we have nothing to, I have nothing to say to you. Because everything I believe is in the Bible. Well, I, I agree with that, but I think that's a mistake. Because, you know, if, if, if you're not willing to engage people uh, who don't believe in the Bible, you're not willing to learn, you know, how to engage, learn their culture, learn their language, what they speak, you know, how they process things, then you're, gonna, you're giving up on a lot of people. And so if they say, I don't believe the Bible, okay, well, let's, let's talk, you know, find some other way, because there are ways 
to bring them around to the truth of God's Word. I believe the Bible is God's Word. I think it's inspired, 100% inspired by God. And so what I'm saying is we need, to, we need to change, we need to adapt the way that we reach out to people and the way even that, that we, we minister. Um, the, you know, the, the message is sacred. But the methods, we know we need to do what the church in Antioch did. And so as we were talking about, that was last week's uh, message. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about what is, I think, the, the, maybe it's the, the, the biggest and most radical change that we need to make about the way we think about the church. And that is this. Don't go to church. Don't go to church. Now, I'm not suggesting that you no longer come to our worship gatherings here at Solid Rock. I'm not saying, uh, okay, don't come anymore. We're shutting this thing down. But what I'm getting at is that a lot of people think of church like they think of going to the movies or going to a football game or going to get a cup of coffee with someone. They think uh, of going to church in terms of I'm going, to go, I'm going to go to this place, you know, like you'd go to a movie. Now, I'm going to go to this location. I'm going to do something fun, watch a movie, drink some coffee with my friends, or go into a football game. So I'm going to go to this location. I'm going to do something fun that I enjoy. And then when it's over, I'm going to get up and go home. Right? And that's the way we think of church. We're going to go to church. We're going to do something that we enjoy. I'm going to get up. We say, okay, today's Saturday. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to Solid Rock. I'm going to enjoy the music and the sermon. And then I'm going to get up and we're going to go home. Maybe we'll go out to eat first and we we'll go home. Now, just to be clear, I hope you do enjoy the music and the sermon. But there is a lot more than that about the church. See, God's highest calling in your life isn't just for you to go to church. It's much better than that. I remember many years ago when I was a teenager, I was in, in high school, we had a, a little uh, taco stand, right? South Texas, not burritos, so tacos. We had a little taco stand just catty corner to our church, and we lived in a parsonage next to the church, right there on Main Street in Robstown, Texas. And... Uh, we used to go there often. They had good food, this little taco stand. And uh, so my mom was there one time. We had, I think we had stopped, the family. And so she was, we were all waiting to get our food. And so my mom overheard this conversation. I remember she said that it really bothered her, made her feel bad, this conversation uh, with two women that were also waiting in line. And uh, one of the, they were talking, having a regular conversation. Then one of them said, this was a Saturday night. One of them said that she had just gone to church that night. She said, I, I, just, I, I just came from, from Mass. She said, I just went to church. She said, I went to church tonight. I went, I don't have to mess with it in the morning. And it just really bothered my mom. I mean, she said, it bothers me that people think of, of going to church as something that is a bother, you know. Well, I mean, it's not just, you know, she apparently was Catholic. It's not just Catholics. It's a lot of, it's evangelicals. It's Pentecostals. that They just see going to church as, as something they do. And so some, if it's, you only see it as something you do, then obviously once in a while, it's going to get in the way of something else you want to do. See how that works? If it's something you just do, then occasionally it might be that something might be happening that Sunday 
that you'd rather do. So you just don't go to church or you go another time just to you won't be bothered. You won't be bothered. So to understand uh, about why I'm saying to you, don't go to church and why I'm saying to you that your greatest calling, God's greatest calling in your life isn't just for you to go to church. And it's much better than that. To, to understand that we need to look again at what church really is. So let's rewind all the way back to the beginning, back to the first century, and especially to the churches that the Apostle Paul started. He was a church planner. He started many churches. But remember that before he did that, Paul was a, was a man who at one time wasn't planting churches. He was trying to destroy churches. And then he met Jesus, and ironically, he ended up planning, like I said, many, many churches all over the Roman Empire. This man who wanted to destroy churches at one time. And in the congregations that, that Paul was starting, most of the members of these congregations were Gentiles, meaning that they were not Jewish, right? They were Gentiles. That was great because remember that Jesus had told his disciples to take the good news about him to the entire world. And so that's good, right? Gentiles are coming to, uh, to know Christ. But it also led to a little bit of a nagging problem. And that is that those Gentiles, we find out in, in, in Paul's epistles, those Gentiles sometimes felt like they were second-class citizens to their Jewish brothers and sisters. And why not? I mean, after all, the Jews were God's chosen people, right? The Jews had the law of Moses. That's huge. And perhaps uh, the biggest trump card was that Jesus himself was a Jew. Like, okay, strike one, strike two, strike three. We're out. We're, we're Gentiles. We're outsiders. And, and, and then also added to that is that the Jews also had the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, there were only, uh, you know, three, three temples that were built in the history of, of the Jews. And uh, this, this temple, uh, Herod's temple, they called it, in Jerusalem, you know, that was a sacred and holy building where the Jewish people could go. I mean, they had the original temple that Solomon built. Then they had the temple when they came back from Babylon uh, that was built, you know, by the exiles when they came home. And now Herod's temple, there's, you know, the only three temples in the history of the, of the um, Jewish people. And so it was a sacred and holy place where the Jewish people could go. And remember, we talked about this in our Wednesday night Bible study a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, where Gentiles could not go except in very limited uh, circumstances. They had, they had a, you know, a place for the Gentiles, a yard, a courtyard, as it were, for the Gentiles, but they couldn't go in to where the Jews could go. So in many of Paul's letters, he specifically addresses this concern. So now we get to our scriptures, Ephesians 2. Chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. This is what, um, this is what Paul writes. Uh, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too 
are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Now, if you were one of those Gentile Christians and you were meeting in a congregation in like Ephesus, this letter was read in Ephesus and it was also passed uh, along to other churches in the area. And so you're reading, this is the way it would have worked. Somebody would have read this letter to the congregation and you're hearing this letter read for the very first time. At this point, you're probably going to be very encouraged. This was encouraging news uh, to the Gentiles because Paul was saying, you, all of you Gentiles who believe, plus all the Jewish believers in your congregation, you all together are God's temple. And he, Paul was saying, you all together are the building. You all together are God's house. See what's going on here? They had the temple already, but Paul is saying, no, no, no. All of you together, Jews and Gentiles, you're God's temple. You're the building. You are the house. He's saying to them that God's Spirit is living in you collectively, working through you, not just individually, but collectively shining His light in the world through you collectively. See, in the, uh, the Old Testament temples that, that we, you know, that I alluded to, and, and now Herod's temple, you know, it, that used, it used to be that, like in the Old Testament especially, when it was dedicated, the presence of God came down, and Solomon's temple was dedicated, the presence of God came down, His glory filled the temple, it was wonderful. But now, after Jesus has died and has uh, risen from the dead, He's ascended to the Father, now we are God's temple. Each one of us individually, we are a temple, uh, or the temple of the Holy Spirit, and all of us collectively, we're, we're God's temple. So our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's why we should take care of it, right? But collectively, we're the temple of God. That's what Paul was saying. And that's why God's calling in your life isn't for you to go to church. Your calling, here's, here's a, a very important point right here. I want you to, to not miss this. Your calling is to be the church Together, and that's a very important word, together with every other believer in the congregation. Your calling is not just to go to church. That's, it's much better than that. Your calling is to be the church together with every other believer in the congregation. God is building something with us and through us collectively that is far greater than what He can do with us individually. And God wants the light of what we are together and the light of what we do together to shine so brightly that our friends and our neighbors uh, are drawn to Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been around church for a long time, you might be thinking, Pastor, I know this. You know, I, I, I understand that. It's probably not news to you. But the bad news is that many people hear this and they say they believe it, but they still choose not to be the church, and they instead settle just to go to church. We have a, a phrase that we use, and I understand the phrase. It's not theologically correct, but, you know, if you use it, it's not a big deal. I, I use it sometimes. We say this is God's house, right? We're going to come to God's house. In reality, this is not God's house. God doesn't have a house anymore. There's no need for a temple, and we have to go to that temple to you know, to approach God. We have to go into the Holy of Holies. We are God's house. 
Now, this is God's house because we're here together. That's what makes this God's house. Any place we gather in a building like this, in a small, uh, tiny sanctuary on Coburn Street, in a school cafeteria on North Jefferson, that becomes God's house because we are the ones who make it God's house. And so, but people still, they know that, but they choose not to be the church and they try to make up for it by simply going to church. And they might think along these lines, they might say, well, I'll let everybody else take care of, you know, ministering in the church and serving. I'll just settle for going to church. After all, since all my sins are forgiven, I've been saved. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Uh, you know, that's, that's good enough. That's really all I need. And that's true. I mean, that's true. But think about this. When you opt out of being the church together with other believers in the congregation, when you take a pass, there's a huge negative implication individually, personally. And this is one reason why I say that we lose. We as, as God's building, God's house, God's temple, we lose when individuals take a, a pass and they opt out of being the church. You lose if you opt out of being the church. And let me explain what I mean. Let's go to Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13. Psalm 92, 12 reads like this. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Now here it is. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Again, this phrase, the house of the Lord, doesn't refer to a physical building. It doesn't refer to a physical building. But first, let's talk about flourishing. Flourish, flourishing or flourish isn't a word that we use very often, is it? I mean, when, when was the last time that somebody asked you, saw you somewhere, hey, how you doing? And you said, man, I'm just flourishing. Have you done that? Try that today. See what happens. <laughs> We're going to say, you're weird. That's what you're doing. You're flourishing in weirdness. Uh, we, don't, we don't do that, right? It's not a word we use, but it really is a great word because flourishing is a word that describes the kind of life that you want to have, that I want to have, uh, the kind of life, in fact, that God wants us to have. He wants us to be flourishing. We were made for flourishing. Flourishing means to be thriving. How many of you want to be thriving in what you do? Flourishing means growing, a healthy growth. I like a plant that's, that's growing healthy. I don't know a lot about plants, but uh, you know, I, I do know that when I see a dead plant, it doesn't look like it's flourishing. Right? Many uh, years ago, my, my two daughters, when they were, Beth and Kelly, when they were in high school, they used to babysit. Uh, some children, uh, brother and sister, whose uh, dad was a doctor in town. And uh, so the, the couple, a very nice couple and very nice house in town. So they would go and they would also, when they were babysitting, they would also house sit. And, and the, the doctor, I think it was a husband, uh, had a lot of plants. And so he would ask him to water the plants, and he left very detailed instructions. And so one time I went with him to go water the plants, and I thought I'd help them. And so there was one particular plant in his office, I believe, home office, uh, that I it was 
big and hard. He was healthy, and I watered it a lot. And uh, and then afterwards, I looked at the instructions. <laughs> you know, do it, do it first, then you look at the instructions. The instructions said, this particular plant, do not water it. I said, oops. <laughs> so for those of you who house it, read, house it, read the instructions first. So uh, we used to joke that he probably had to take it outside. It got so big. But, you know, it's, you, you can tell when it's, when it's uh, flourishing, it's prospering. Uh, flourish means to thrive, to grow, to prosper. It means to be at peace emotionally and relationally and spiritually. Uh, flourishing means to be able to bless others because you yourself are being blessed. And so the reality is that you and I were, were made to flourish God made us to flourish, to flourish like a cedar tree, like a palm tree. But what, what does that mean? Well, let's look at both of those briefly. Cedar wood, I've read, is extremely durable. Uh, for example, when Solomon built his temple in Jerusalem, he made the columns, the posts, the beams, and the roof out of cedar because he wanted it to last for centuries. Even in our time, uh, some outdoor furniture is made out of cedar because it can withstand uh, the elements. As far as a palm tree, in ancient times, as many of you know, a palm tree was symbolic of triumph and victory, like when Jesus entered Jerusalem and, and they waved palm trees and they placed them on the road uh, before Him. Uh, in fact, if you were the victor in one of the contests in the original Olympic Games, they didn't give you a gold medal, they gave you a palm branch. So I know palm, palm trees are very hardy. Uh, coming from Corpus Christi, we, you, you see them, you know, that tropical, tropical, other tropical areas, you see them a lot. And they withstand hurricane force winds. They're the, I mean, they, could, they might bend all the way down to the ground. You might have, you know, category four or five uh, hurricanes, and those palm trees will withstand. And so uh, they're, they're strong, they're... They're sturdy. So here's the point. To flourish like a cedar means to be durable, strong, and pleasing. And to flourish like a palm tree means to be triumphant and victorious. Remember I mentioned when Jesus came in, the reason they used palm uh, branches because they thought He was going to lead them to triumph and victory over the Romans. So uh, to flourish like a cedar means to be durable, strong, and pleasing. To flourish like a palm or a palm tree means to be triumphant and victorious. And in addition to that, both of these trees are evergreens, which means they're always flourishing, always growing, always bearing fruit. There is always life coming from these trees. And uh, we read in, in this Verse 12, Psalm 92, 12, we just read that the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. That's what it's supposed to be like when you're a Christian. If, if, you're, if you're struggling to flourish and you, you know, there's limited growth, and then you need to examine what's going on. Uh, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean it's supposed to be easy. Storms still come, right? Droughts will come, but the trees continue to flourish in spite of, of those uh, circumstances. Uh, when you think about your life right now, then I want to ask you, when you think about your life, is flourishing a word that comes to mind? 
Would you describe your life right now as flourishing? A lot of people would say this, well, you know what? I go to church, but I'm not flourishing. I go to church, but I, I can't say I'm flourishing. Have you ever heard this? People say this, I go to church, but I don't get anything out of it. All right? But the Bible doesn't say that those who go to church are going to flourish. It says those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. There's a huge difference because going to church isn't the same as being planted in the church. Uh, big difference. And you can hear the difference in the way many of us uh, talk about church. I say many of us, you know, many people talk about church. For example, there's some people that might get up on a Sunday morning and say, you know, me and the husband says, honey, are we going to go to church today? I mean, I've been thinking, I've got a lot to do. I'm kind of busy. There's a lot going on. Or they might say, you know, the kids have a game this weekend. Are we going to go to church this Sunday? Because, you know, soccer or basketball or volleyball, whatever. Or, you know, it's kind of tired. We're kind of tired. Man, it's been a, a busy, busy week. We're worn out. What do you think? Should, do you want to go to church? I don't know. Do you? Now, when, when you're planted, you don't say that. When you're just going to church, you say that. You, you say, well, I don't know, should we? But when you're planted in the house of God, when you are the church, when you're being the church, you don't talk that way because church isn't a destination. Church is who you are. And gathering together to be collectively the house of God is what we do. This is what we do. We'll do it any place. We'll do it any place. Attending a worship service or not is, I mean, that's, there's never really a question for someone who is being the church. It's just what we do. I mean, it, it would be like asking your family, why would you ask my wife, honey, you want to eat today? Or if she said to me, because she does most of the cooking, you know, I, I don't cook, I grill, but if she said to me, do you want to eat today? I don't, I don't really want to eat. Like, yeah, of course I want to eat. Or even sillier, if I said to her, should we breathe today? You want to breathe today? Should we take breaths? Of course, that's what we do. We take breaths. We eat. That's what people do who are the church. You know, there, there are certain things. One of those is they gather together. It's, it's ludicrous to think, you know, to ask those questions of breathing and eating because it's just what we do. And when you think of yourself as planted in a church instead of just going to church, then church isn't a destination or an event to attend. But church is investing yourself in the work of God, the work that God is already doing. Church is developing relationships with other people in the congregation, praying for them, letting them pray for you. Church is recognizing that God has given you gifts and abilities. Maybe God has given you financial resources and Church is using those things to advance the mission of God and the mission of the church that God established here on earth. Church is a calling. It's a movement. It's a mission to share the light of Christ. Church is a gathering of people with a purpose. And this is why you, know, you may not have noticed, but I, um, I will say... Uh, uh, we refer to our, our worship gathering, and, you know, we thanks for coming as we gather together. And instead of saying thanks for coming to church, because you are the church and you're God's temple when we gather together. 
Two great things happen, and I'll finish with this. Two great things happen when you're planted in the house of the Lord, when you are being the church. When you're planted in the house of the Lord, your roots grow deep. Your roots grow deeply. I'm sorry, deep. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah once described those who are planted in the house of God in language very similar to what we read in Psalm 92. In Jeremiah 17, 8, here's what he wrote. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's a description of somebody who is planted in the house of God. Planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Now maybe right now you're feeling some heat in your life. Maybe right now you're experiencing some trials. Or maybe you would say, I'm in a drought right now. Man, I, I feel dry. I feel withered. But when the roots grow deep, the roots aren't bothered by, by the heat. Uh, they're not bothered by drought. When you're planted in the house of the Lord, your roots grow deep into the source of water that is that a source that is greater than any problem you might face on the surface. You know, I read about the redwood tree that can grow up to 30 stories high. 30 stories high. But its root system goes down 150 feet. That's why, you know, it, it's such a beautiful, strong tree. But um, perhaps what's most stunning about the redwood is not just that the, the root system goes down 150 feet, but it can also go out, spread out 150 feet. feet. It's, in fact, it, its roots spread out so much that its roots intertwine with the roots of other redwood trees. And together they form this underground support system that sustains the entire forest. This is amazing. When I looked this up and read about this, I thought, wow, this is amazing. Saw some, you know, some drawings of what this looks like under the surface. And in the same way, when we're connected and planted in the church, we're stronger, we're blessed, and we're encouraged because as our individual roots grow deep, they also intertwine with others and they support others. We support each other. Look, this, this week... You may not know it now, but this week you might face opposition. Or maybe you do know it. Maybe you're, you're going to face a trial, or maybe you already are facing a trial. You're going to have a struggle, a setback. And if you face this alone, you are more vulnerable to discouragement and defeat. But when you're planted firmly in the house of the Lord, you're part of this great forest that supports you because your roots go deep. Here's the second great thing about being planted when you're planted in the house of the Lord, you produce fruit. This is what the end of Jeremiah 17, 8 says. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So what is fruit? What is fruit? Well, the Apostle Paul once wrote about this to, uh, well, to the churches in, in the area known as Galatia. He called this the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. He said, these are the things that begin to show up in your life when God's Spirit is at work and when you are connected with and serving other believers. When we're all planted together, we serve one another. We care for one another. 
We love one another. We use our gifts for one another. And as a result, we're encouraged in ways that otherwise we might not be encouraged to keep following Jesus. And when that happens, everybody grows to be a little bit more like Jesus. When we allow the fruit of the Spirit, you know, we're planted in the house of God, and then we produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and it becomes more prevalent, more obvious, and uh, it becomes stronger. When you're planted, when church is more than a place you go, your roots grow deep, and you produce fruit that makes a difference in others. So here's the question. Are you planted in the house of the Lord? Or are you just going to church? Don't go to church. Be planted. Be the church. Here are a few ways that you can know. You can answer this question. Am I, am I just coming to church or am I planted? If you decide not to come to a gathering because you decide that something better has come along that morning or, or that day, then you're probably just going to church. If you go to services at one church and then another, then you stay home, then you go to this one, then you go over there, then you stay home, then you're probably just going to church. If you don't make any effort to get to know other people, if you don't ever consider serving, like how can this congregation use what I can do, whatever little or lot? Uh, if you give only when you know there's a project or a need, then you're probably just going to church. And I don't say this to make anybody who's here, who's watching online, feel bad or feel guilty or whatever. That's not my job. I just want to point out the difference between going to church and being planted in a church, being planted in the house of God. Because again, those who are planted flourish. Those who are planted flourish. So the other hand, if you come to a gathering as often as you can, if you give a regular percentage of, the, of, of your income, which... The Bible calls a tithe, and you give offerings beyond the tithe. If you're looking for ways to serve, if you're praying for this church and for its members and its leaders, if you work through conflict in the, in the body, in the congregation when it happens, if you, if you decide, you know, there's a misunderstanding here, but I'm going to work through this. I'm not going to get my feelings hurt. But you work through, and maybe you did get your feelings hurt. That's okay. But you work through those hurt feelings. You work through being offended instead of, Quitting or leaving without saying anything, or worse yet, you know, talking badly about somebody. If you do those things, you're planted in the house of the Lord. And those who are planted are those who will flourish. So when someone asks you how your life is, God wants you to be able to say, I'm flourishing, flourishing, I'm thriving. Life's not perfect, but my roots are deep. My faith is strong. I have brothers and sisters that support me. I feel like I need it. I feel like I, this congregation needs my gifts, my ability. Uh, I'm loved. I'm a part of something. Part of something. That's how God wants you to answer this. Now, so what we're talking about is that really to be the church, we must do it in community because that's what the church is. And it dawns on me that one of the best models for living in community is the family. Right? And this being Father's Day, it's a great time for us to renew our commitment as a family to each other. This is a great time for husbands to renew your commitment to your family, wives, to your family, to your children. And together, come to worship. Together, 
come be the church, or when we go out, and I'm just basically talking about our gatherings, but there's so much more than the church does. To go out and minister the community, right? to, to let God's light shine in this world, the best way to do that is the uh, community of the family. We have a strong family. We have strong families. We're going to have a strong church. So today as we conclude, I want us to pray, and then I want us to sing a song that we have sung for years here at Solid Rock Church, for years. The family prayer song. It's a song that calls all of us as a family to make a commitment to serve God and be the church as a family. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful for your word and for, for what your word teaches us. I thank you, God, that you not only have saved us and given us new life, not only have you forgiven our sins and made us a new creation, as your word said, but Lord, you have also called us to be a part of a community because we're, not, we're never called to serve you individually, to serve you uh, alone. We're called to be a part of a community. We're called to be the church. So I thank you for that, Lord. And I, I just pray that as we reflect on what we have learned today from your word, these verses we've read, as we examine our lives, we would be honest. And it might not be easy, it might be painful, but that we would be honest about our situation. Lord, maybe there's somebody here who says, you know what, I've just been going to church. That's all I've been doing, but now I'm ready to make a commitment to give my life away. To I'm ready to surrender my life. Dear God, I pray that they would be able to take that step right now and in prayer just say, God, forgive my sins. Make me a new person. Lord. Save me, Father. I pray that you would allow that to happen. And allow every one of us today, Lord, to make the jump from just going to church to being the church, to being God's temple when we gather together, that we might flourish. Lord, I want to see, because I know you want this, every person in this place today, every person watching online, to flourish in their lives. I want them to flourish in all ways, in every direction. And we know we can do that when we are the church together. Come and fill our homes, dear God, with your presence. We want to serve you.